thank you. Bless your service tonight. Learning 
decided to take my Wednesday night seat tonight and um, talk to this church. Before we get into the rest of the service, um, I want to say how much I appreciate these choruses that we sing. Uh, connect our hearts with the, with the Spirit of God. Um, we want to pray, and Brother John is not here tonight. Um, because Sister Monica is not doing too well and he needed to get some things done for her. And so when I called home, he was not there. He was out getting whatever she needed. But Sam is in New York. With um, He and his wife were visiting with Brother Richard. I'm sure they're there in, in the Elmont Assembly tonight. And they'll probably, he would be in the Elmont Assembly tonight and he'll probably be there tomorrow also. So tonight we want to pray. Sister Pauline is not well. Um, anyone else? Um, it's good to see Sister Polly here today. Um, always good to see Sister Polly. Uh, I know the struggles she goes through and the problems she's got physically, but she's been battling uh, this situation in our life. How many years, Sister Polly? Twelve? Twelve years. And we thank God that you have survived and still here today. Of course, um, I, my voice is a little raspy again tonight. Not as bad as it was Wednesday night. But um, that's, that's not because I prayed a lot. It's just at this time of the year... Um, Sister Chandra has been pushing me to go get 
my lungs x-rayed and all kinds of stuff. I don't think I want anybody to further radiate me. So I'll hang it out until it's done. Uh, so tonight we want to pray and ask God to be with us in the service. You notice I got two bodyguards behind me. All right. I feel more protected when I've got men here just in case somebody want to attack me. I'm glad I have Brother Vid, Sister Jasmine, and Brother Thomas behind me here. We're glad to have all of you here. Amen. Glad that you're here that are sitting in the sanctuary. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we give you thanks tonight for the privilege you've given to us that we can come into your house. Lord, we pray for those that are not well, Sister Monica. Pray that, oh God, you'll strengthen her. She has been such a faithful person over the years, and we pray you'll continue to be with her, Father. Pray for Sister Pauline that you will touch her also. And anyone that's not here because of an illness, in their body, we pray that you will work a healing in their spirit and in their body, Father, we pray. Tonight, we ask for your blessing on this service and the rest of the weekend. Please, O oh God, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, this year, this year marks uh, 50, someone calculate for me. I went into the ministry when I was 18. And now I'm 74. Fifty-six years. Fifty-six years I've been preaching. Started when I was very young. I was just um, 18, 18, 19 in that age bracket. And uh, had to go out into the ministry. So it's a many, many years of preaching. In this particular location, I preached over 5,000 messages. Just in this location, 5,000 messages. And um, I prayed that God would give me the strength to preach much more. Uh, when it comes to interpreting scripture, interpreting the Bible, I have a way that the Lord has touched my mind to interpret scripture. Now in a world where we have a lot of religions, we've got a lot of religions, let's leave the religions aside for a little bit. In this world where we have a lot of Christian denominations, uh, the question arises, who is right and who is wrong? And I remember growing up, I used to teach Sunday school, and there was a time I had a district with about 20, about 20 Sunday schools. And we had Sunday schools all over the place. And we used to teach the children to sing a song that says, I don't care which church you belong to. Um, those of you that were brought up in Sunday school, I don't know if you know that song. He says, I don't care what church you belong to, just as long as for Calvary you stand. So today, if your heart meet with my heart, you, my brother, so give me your hand. Well, I, I'm sorry. I, want, I wish I could apologize to all those children that I taught that. And um, unfortunately, I can't. Some of them have grown uh, to be family. I remember... 
One day I visited someone in Guyana and I walked, knocked on the lady's door and she came out and I said, Auntie, how are you? And she looked at me. She said, look at him. He calling me auntie. She said, don't you know me? I said, no. She said, you taught me in Sunday school. And that is so amazing because she was big. She had kids. And I'm not sure if she even had grandkids. So it, life has moved on. And ever so often we sing a song that is promoting a concept that might not be real. And is it important that you belong to a particular group of individuals? How can you tell who is right and who is wrong? One of the things I often say very often, I mean very often, especially of recent years, is that I speculate to the best of my ability. Now the fact that I say speculate, and I'm telling you something, it means I believe it. But I'm using the word speculate as a disclaimer, just in case I might not be accurate, just in case my interpretation of what is given to me in the scriptures might not be right. So I always, when I use the word speculate, I always give room for the possibility of error. But in the book of Matthew, Jesus made a statement and he told his disciples, and here is a very popular statement, if I can find it here. I think it might be in the 15th chapter of Matthew. Let's see here. Yes. In the 16th chapter of Matthew. Sorry, not 15. Chapter 16, Jesus is making some statements. Now, I want you to back up a little with me to chapter 15 and verse 8. And those of you following me in chapter 15 and verse 8, Matthew's Gospel, Jesus made a statement and he says here, he says, This people draw it nigh unto me with their mouth. He's quoting from Isaiah chapter 29. And we might take a look at that a little bit. He says, This people draw it nigh unto me with their mouth. Like tonight, we sang... Fill me, Jesus. What other song we sang tonight? I have a heart that's pure. Create in me your image, dear Lord. You know, we, we sing songs that create that impression that we really love God. Do we really? And if we love God, love goes in various degrees. I told someone... Uh, one time, and I'm sure a lot of people would agree with me, love is a two-way street. It's I offer you and you offer me. It's a two-way. Uh, when you try to love on one side, it's not enough. But God did. God loved the world. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him. See, God loved the world when the world did not even believe God existed. Uh, he loved me when I was unsaved and ungodly. Uh, when I was undone, God sent his son to die for me. But when God is demanding from me, he wants me to respond back in a positive way to his love. 
And so here in Isaiah, in, in Matthew chapter 15, verse 8, Jesus is saying, he says, The people draw nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips. It's easy. Um, I wonder how many people lied to how many people today? How many young men lied to a young lady today and say, I love you? I wonder how many young lady told some young man, I love you. And all because of an ulterior motive. It might be a statement that can be commonly said, but it doesn't mean it's real. I would like us to come to the place where we say, God, I love you, or please help me to love you. And it's from the heart that's pure. And so Jesus is saying here, and he's quoting from Isaiah. He says, they honor at me with their mouth. They draw an eye unto me with their mouth. And honor at me with their lips. But the heart from which proceeds genuine love is not there. And he goes on in verse 9, he says, because they're just talking they love me and don't really love me, he says it's an effort in futility. An effort in futility is like if you want to make a trip to Toronto and you want to walk to Toronto but accidentally got on your treadmill. You're not going anywhere. You can go five miles an hour, you're not going anywhere. It's an effort in futility. And I normally would tell a little story of Sister Chandra and I going to the dentist many years ago. And uh, we went to the dentist. It was in Meadowvale uh, Town Center area. And we walked in very proudly. We walked into the dentist's office and we says, the things are here. And the secretary looked at her records and she said, the things are one week too early. That was an effort in futility. We made all that trip to go down to Meadowvale, and we did that because our dates were not right. Well, you can worship God in vain. It'd be sad if you go to work, regular job, and you work all month, and you clock your time in, and when the month comes to an end... Uh, the company goes bankrupt before you get your paycheck. You have worked in vain. You have worked, put all your efforts in without receiving a reward. Well, Jesus said the same about religion, especially religion when it pertains to the Jews and the Christians. I would like to leave this chapter. I'm coming back to Matthew in a little bit here. But I'd like to go to Isaiah chapter 28. I think that's the corresponding scripture uh, that Jesus was quoting from. He says in verse chapter, sorry, Isaiah chapter 29. And he makes a statement here. He says, I don't want the entire thing. He, I want verse 9. Stay to yourself and wonder. Cry out and cry. They are drunken, but not with wine. They stagger, but not with strong drink. Tomorrow, if the Lord helps me, I'd like to talk a little bit about strong drink, uh, literally and spiritually. 
Uh, to be to be not intoxicated with wine. What am I intoxicated with? I'm intoxicated with religion. Someone taught me something and I can give it up because that's what I'm intoxicated with. He says, For the Lord poured out upon you the spirit of deep sleep. And had closed your eyes. And the prophets and rulers and the seers had he covered or made blind. In other words, God is telling the nation of Israel. He says, you're intoxicated. You're drunk on something that has no reality. And your leaders and your teachers and your, and your seers, he says, I, God has poured upon them deep slumber. Now, spiritual drunkenness. And spiritual slumber is the same thing. It is, you get intoxicated or you get carried away. And you're not even sure what's happening. Because if a deep sleep has fallen on you, you might be having a dream and not reality. And then he goes on. He says, the vision of all is become unto the, you as the words of a book that is sealed. Which men deliver to one that went to college and university and Bible institutions and says, read this. And the person says, I cannot for it is sealed. Now, listen to me carefully. A lot of what is written in the Bible is not meant to be literally understood or easily understood. And that is why when Jesus was on this earth, he taught in parables. He told stories. That only those whose minds God touched would comprehend what he wanted to say. Some people would listen to the story of the sower that went forth to sow. And when they go home, the family says, what did he talk about today? He talked about gardening. No, he talked about important spiritual things. But because he did not want everyone to understand except those whose minds God was touching, he spoke in parables. And this Bible that I have before me, a lot of it is parabolic. If the Lord helped me, we might get into the book of Revelation a little bit tonight. Revelation is a book of symbols and symbolisms. When the Bible in Revelation tells you that the Lord Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah, he's not a literal lion. When it says out of his mouth comes a sharp sword, not a literal sword. When it says he was the lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world, not a literal lamb. And so there are other things in the Bible that are symbolic. And unless God touches our mind to understand. But you know, the Bible tells us holy men of old spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And if men like Isaiah and Jeremiah and some of these prophets of old speak because God touched their minds and they speak under the Holy Ghost, for me, thousands of years this side of the time frame that they lived, how can I decipher or explain what they said if the same Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit does not touch me? I need God to inspire me. And as I preach to you, you need God to inspire you. Because if we are spiritually blinded, we cannot see. 
This Bible is not meant for everyone to read and understand. It is written parabolically to a great extent. I mean, there are things that you don't need a parable to tell you, thou shalt not commit adultery, or thou shalt not steal, or thou shalt not bear false witness. That is very simple. That's straightforward. And so here, it says the book was given to a man that went to college. And you say, well, I got a degree. I've got a PhD, Brother Singh. I graduated out of the seminary, uh, so-and-so. I remember one time I was invited to go to a Bible school uh, called Central Bible Institute in the United States. And the Lord stopped me from going. I'm really glad he did. Uh, I was already getting set to make a trip to the United States to be a member of Central Bible Institute. There was a professor that I met personally. His name, I think, was John Garlick. And he said to me, he said, I'll bring you to Central Bible Institute. You'll become a student in that institution. And I will get a job for you so you can support yourself on the side. Song be good, right? Young man in Guyana, might have been 19, 20 years old. Uh, sung there like an opportunity. But when I was all getting ready to make that trip, I received a letter from a man that conducted the crusade I was converted in. I had not seen that man for many, many years. His name is Brother Dennis Hilliman, and he lived in Virginia at that time. And he sent a letter to me. And he says, Brother Desmond, I was praying this morning, and God placed you in my mind. And I felt like the Lord wanted me to write this letter to you and tell you, Whatever you're about to do, don't do it. So I got that letter, and I'm ready to make a trip to the United States. And I felt, I felt that letter was what the Lord wanted me to have, and so I canceled my trip. I'm so glad I did. I'm so glad I did not go to an institution to be brainwashed. I prefer God to heartwash me, and I think my knowledge today concerning scripture is not restricted. And so, the book is given to a man that is learned. And he says, read it. He says, I cannot for it is sealed. Isn't that something? Then the book is delivered to the man that did not go to school. So you read it. He says, I'm not learned. So the learned man says, I can't read it. And the man that is unlearned says, I'm not learned. Well, the Lord said here, and verse 13, For as much as this people, God is talking specifically to the Jews, but I think it could be applied to us. This people draw nigh unto me with their mouths, and with their lips they do honor me. And that is what every religion does. Every religion on this planet draw nigh to God with their lips and honor him with their mouth. And you wonder ever so often if there's a God up there and he's looking down. What is he thinking? You see, if I was God and I try to put myself, I'm not God. I'll never be able to think like that. 
But I try to think, if I'm looking down at man and I've, uh, forget God, I'm a father and I got six sons. My dad had six sons, that's why I'm choosing that number. I'm a father and I've got six sons. And this one boy says, Dad, I know you're my dad, you're a good dad, but I want to go my own way. Hey boy, you're only seven. I want to go my own way. And the other one says, I want to go my way. What would a father wants his children to do? I mean, there comes a time when they're old enough to make decisions. But until that time, won't that father be failing in his responsibility if he let the little boys make decisions? I think so too. I feel God is a responsible God. And if we're to serve God, we must worship him, like Jesus said, in spirit and in truth. There's no way to worship God contrary to what he wants. And so, will God send five ministers to one city, each one preaching contrary to the other, each one has doctrines contrary to each other, and everyone say, God sent me. I believe if God is sending individuals, he will give them a common concept. He will give them a common understanding. And let's talk about Christianity. If God is sending Christians out into the ministry, he would have to train them and give them a constant message because Jesus said, and you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Someone says, well, there are many truths. I don't, I, I'm not in relation to what I'm saying. I can say, well, you know, uh, Raiden don't, will not know what I'm talking about. But in Christianity, they have the concept of oneness. Where a group of individuals believe there is one God and he manifests himself in three persons. Then there is a second group called the Trinitarians. They believe God is three persons that becomes one person. First one, one God that becomes the Father one time, becomes the Son some other time, becomes the Holy Ghost sometime. The second group believe there's Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And these three, one plus one plus one is equal to one. Brother Singh, what do you believe? Long story, you won't want to find out what I believe tonight. But I believe there is a God, the Father of all. And I believe he has a son, distinct and separate entity from himself. I believe the son says, my father is greater than I. Which means they're not co-equal. I believe the son, when they call him good master, he says, don't call me good. There is none good but my father, which is in heaven. I believe when the son prays, he says, pray like this. Our father, which art in heaven. Two separate distinct entity. Somehow today I'll take that up a little further. Tonight... It says here in verse 13, For this people draw nigh unto me with their mouth, 
and with their lips they do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me, and their fear of me is taught by the precept of men. So we come to a concept here that I'd like to think about. <clears throat> when our fear of God is human in its origin, it can be genuine. When our concept of God is wrong in its origin, it can be genuine. And our honor to God cannot be taught by the precepts of men. Now I'm pastoring a church and I can say, well, I want the choir to sing and we form a choir and we can organize the church. Nobody in this church ever challenges me when I said I want something done a certain way. There might come a time the church might want to vote me out. Who knows? <clears throat> Don't ever try it. But um, I can make principles and says, well, I want the brothers to worship on this side. I want the sisters to worship that side. And I'm teaching principles and nothing is wrong with simple principles. But is it possible that I can lead the church astray? Well, back into Matthew. Back into Matthew chapter 15, uh, where Jesus made this statement. And he said here, and I want to, uh, time, it's already 10 minutes after uh, 7 o'clock. But here in Matthew chapter 15, Jesus said, he says, This people, verse 8, draw nigh unto me with their mouth, honor at me with their lips. But their heart is far from me. Now, if I was a father, I'd like my six boys to place me in their hearts. Dad, I love you from the bottom of my heart. You ever heard that statement made? I love you from the bottom of my heart. Well, not only love me with your lips, but genuinely love me from your heart. And love... Paul talks about love in 1 Corinthians uh, 13, I think it is. But we're not getting there tonight. We're talking about this here now. And because man has taught mankind how to worship God, Jesus made this statement in verse 9. He says, but in vain do they worship me. Can we worship God in vain? Can the whole band be playing and we all lift up our hands and say, God, we worship you, we worship you, and it's not real? Have you done anything that's not real? And as we all sit here tonight, each one of us, and I've said this before, we would have things in our lives we wish no one would know. Some might be big things and some might be small things. It is good to have an individual concept. But if we're worshiping God with lip service and not from our hearts, then our worship is in vain. It's getting in that treadmill and think you're making a, some miles going to Toronto and you're not going anywhere. It's, uh, it's effort in futility. So in vain, we can worship God in vain. Not having received the promises of God. And so, 
When you back up from Matthew, we're in Matthew tonight. It looks like we might stick in Matthew tonight. In Matthew chapter 7, back up a little to Matthew chapter 7. When I'm reading the end of the book, when I'm looking ahead and reading about prophecies of the future, that when Jesus comes back, and we hope he will come back, it's a hope we have in our hearts. It says, verse 21, Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. It says, not everyone, let's all read that together with me. Let's try it again. Not everyone that saith unto me shall enter into the kingdom but he or she, that is, that do it, do it. Everybody say do it. do it. It's not speaking about something that you're not doing. It's how you do it. That do it the will of, not man, not the will of the pastor, not the will of the church, not the will of an organization, but you do the will of the Father. For many, verse 22, will say to me in that day when the Lord returns to judge the world, many, how many? many. Everybody say many. Many. <clears throat> many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord. What they call him? Lord, Lord. Lord, Lord. Have we not prophesied or preached in your name? So listen for, to me for a moment. It means I can get up into the pulpit Preach a message in the name of Jesus. And when Jesus returns back to reward me, here's what happens. Lord, Lord, I have prophesied in your name. Not only that, but I've done, cast out devils. And in thy name, I did wonderful things. And I became popular in society because I was using the name of Jesus to preach the gospel. You know, on Facebook, I put a little post one time. And it's a mousetrap. This week I bought two mousetraps. You want one, sister? Okay. Now, I have two mousetraps. They're selling two for one price, right? So I bought two mousetraps. What are you doing with that? Well... I bought it because somebody told me they saw a mouse in my garage. And you know how you use a mousetrap? You put a piece of cheese, you pull the, the little bar back and you put a little cheese and that's the bait. And when the little mouse comes and he bites the cheese and he pulls on that, the trap comes back, the spring comes back and pop his neck. I could not do that. I, I bought a mousetrap, but I could not go pop no little mouse's neck. So I got a mousetrap. I brought it down. I left it in the church downstairs in the basement there. I can't do that. I would prefer to go and buy an electronic thing that would make a noise that scares the, the mice away. But in my Facebook page, one day I put a mousetrap. Picture of a mousetrap with a cheese. 
and a sign says free cheese. I thought that was so cute because that is what a lot of preachers do. They use the name Jesus like cheese is used on a mousetrap to catch a member, to catch a fish, to catch an individual that would help to support their work. I hope to God I will never use the word of God deceitfully or for my own personal benefit. I hope I never use the name Jesus like cheese is used on a mousetrap. I hope I don't use the church and preaching as a method to con people and to deceive them even though I know I'm not. Listen, if I am not sure about something positively, I'll never preach it. And I struggle as a pastor for years withholding certain subjects because I know the world says that, but I don't believe it. And today I sit here talking to you and in my own field, among my fellow ministers, I am a very lonely person. I'm a lonely person in that what I preach and what I promote and the concept I believe in is accommodated by other ministers. Left to some ministers, Christmas time, they put a Christmas tree in the middle there and have all the children come and get presents. I don't believe in that. I don't believe in under, and you see, this is the problem I have. I like to research things and find out what's the origin. You should have a mind that likes to find out the origin of things also. And I remember, you know, you have, you know what's a barcode? You know what's a barcode? When you go to, to, to buy a product, uh, your product has a little marking in the back, little line up stuff and you scan that. It's called a barcode. Isn't it easy when you go and you have your items and they scan it, barcode? Well, when I grow up, my friend, and I go to the grocery, there was no barcode. The man had a calculator and whether he's jipping me, I don't even know. And he's there with his finger punching in. And I don't even know. And he, instead of five minutes, he takes 15 minutes to calculate all my stuff. And if for some reason his calculator make one mistake, he got to start from scratch. Aren't you glad we have barcodes? But I think what you're talking about barcodes, yes. Aren't you glad somebody came out in the year... 1950 and 51, an American discover that a barcode could be used to scan your items. I had to check it out. That's where it came from. The man, an American in 1950-51 discovered that and all the countries around the world are thankful to God somebody discovered that. The cashiers are easy to operate. You don't have to be smart. You don't have to punch in numbers. 
The origin of things are important. The origin of customs that you engage in is important to find out where it came from. Today I heard Nadine sneeze about a dozen times in the house. And when you sneeze, what is the common thing you say? Bless you. Is that right? Somebody sneezes and they say, bless you. Well, I got allergies, man, and I'm sneezing and you're telling me it's a blessing? No, it's a habit. Bless you. Well, I leave that for you to find out where did the concept of bless you come from? I check everything out. I like to find out the origin of things and especially when it comes to bringing things into church and have the people confirm to something I brought in, I want to know where it came from. Did it come from God? Did it come from pagan religions? Did it come from the devil? When you understand where it comes from, you would not be such a stooge or such a puppet that they say out in the world, monkey see, monkey do, but monkey is not concerned where it's coming from. No, in the church, we must promote a concept that's right. And Jesus said to these people here in Matthew chapter 7, he says, when they said, Lord, we did all these wonderful works in verse 23, then Jesus professes unto them, he says, I don't know you. But Jesus, I know you. That's what you think. And I might say, well, I know Prime Minister Trudeau. Well, I know him by name, but I don't know him personally. Would he come to your house if you invite him? No. You get bodyguards coming to make sure I'm not going to kill the Prime Minister. Saying Jesus, singing about Jesus, talking about Jesus, describing Jesus is not the same as having a personal experience with the Lord for yourself. And I encourage every one of you that sing about Jesus, talk about Jesus, know information about Jesus, to ask Jesus in your life and have a personal encounter with him in your life and ask him to save you. All right? And so he says here to these individuals, I never knew you. Depart from you, from me, you that work iniquity. Now there's a word that comes up here. It's called iniquity. Everybody say iniquity. Iniquity is a common word that we have to think about carefully. Because when I'm trying to think the origin of iniquity. You see, I like origins, right? When I'm trying to find the origin of iniquity, it takes me back into scripture, which I like to take you to. In Ezekiel chapter 28. And it describes the devil. Uh, he was called the king of Tyrus. Description here is used. Called the king of Tyrus. In chapter 28 of Ezekiel. And verse 11. Going all the way down. 
I want you to look with me just for a moment. I know we don't have a lot of time tonight, but here is something for you to look into when you're by yourself. It says, Son of man, Son of man, take this Proverbs, verse um, 12, right? Son of man, take this lamentation upon the king of Tyrus and say unto him. Now, I don't believe this was the literal king of Tyrus because as we go further on in this chapter, you'll find that he was created, not born. But this is a scripture that a lot of theologians, as a matter of fact, the majority of theologians believe this is describing the devil. You know, the devil that you think is an ugly guy with an imp. Let's read about him. Take this proverb against the king of Tyrus. And say unto him, Thus, thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum, full of wisdom. What was, what was the king of Tyrus? What was Lucifer? What was the devil full of? Full of wisdom. The devil is not an idiot. The devil is not a sly old fox that we used to sing in Sunday school. You lock, take a lock, it, uh, lock him up in a box and throw away the key. It says here, he was, thou sealest up the sum full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. That does not represent the devil when you put an ugliest, ugly, heinous imp in your mind. Thou has been, where has he been? In the Eden, the garden of God. And when he was there, Adam and Eve were naked, like the Bible says. They were without garments. But this being that deceived Eve was not a snake hanging from a tree that says, Hiss! Eat a piece of apple. No. Eve was the wisest woman God ever created that lived on this earth. She was called Eve, the mother of all living. She was not some little fickle young lady running around in, in the mud. And he says to her, he says, when the devil goes up here, verse 13, that was being in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. He was dressed up with all the precious ornaments and stones you can find. The sardis and the topaz and the diamond and the beryl and the onyx and the jasper and the sapphire and the emerald and the carbuncle and gold. The workmanship of thy tablets and of the pipes that were prepared in thee in the day that thou was created. So this is not the king of Tyrus, literally. This is a being that God created perfect in beauty. See, God creates perfection. When God created Adam, he was the best looking guy you can find on the planet. Of course, there was nobody else at that time. But he was not some weak, frail individual. It says... Thou art the anointed cherub. Okay, it's not a king of Tyrus. It's an angelic being called, the category that he fell in was called cherubim. Thou was the anointed cherub that cover it or control it. And I have set thee so, God says, I've set thee so. Thou wast in the holy mountain of God. 
And thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Those are angelic beings that is being described. Verse 15. Thou was perfect. Everybody. Thou was perfect in all thy ways. The day in the, from the day that thou was created till. The origin of iniquity started with the devil. And I know I have just a few minutes. The origin of iniquity started with the devil and he was perfect until his heart decided he was not going to do the simple commandments of God. He was going to change what God ordained. And anytime we change the decrees of God, iniquity comes in. And that is why when Jesus died, he was bruised for our transgression. He was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquity. That is why when the prophets came and they saw Israel in Isaiah chapter 1, with all the mechanics of religion, worshiping God, they said, uh, Isaiah said, your people laden with iniquity. That is why when Jeremiah came, he says, what iniquity has your father found in me? God said to the people in the days of Jeremiah. That is why when David prayed, David prayed in Psalms 51. He says, I was shapen in iniquity, father, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Iniquity is a very dangerous form of Christian involvement. Jesus said because iniquity shall abound in the 24th chapter of Matthew. He says the world is in trouble because iniquity shall abound. The love of many will wax cold. Today as I'm talking to you. We're looking at a situation where iniquity reigned in the earth. And I know I have a scripture that I didn't touch on yet. But because iniquity is all over. And the scripture tells us in today's world. Iniquity will abound. And Matthew tells us. Jesus will say. To everyone in religion. That is contrary to what God wants. Depart from me. You that work. Iniquity. If ever there was a fear to have in your heart, is that pray that God help us that iniquity will depart from us. That we will not walk in iniquity, lest our efforts in serving God is in futility. If today we operate the church contrary to what God wants, we teach contrary to what God wants, we function contrary to what God wants. We are workers of iniquity. And if we are workers of iniquity. We will not enter into the kingdom of God. Because iniquity will not enter into God's kingdom. I think I want to look at that one more scripture in Matthew chapter. In chapter 16 of Matthew. And so after Jesus condemned the Pharisees and, and, and told the people in Matthew chapter 15, 
that um, they can't worship God in, 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 in with false doctrine. Let me get that here. I'm closing. Don't worry. In Matthew chapter 15, Jesus said, As people draw nigh unto me with their mouth, honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. And when he said these things, the Pharisees were offended. And they did not like what he was saying. They were the best religious body in that time. They were very strict. They had order. They had discipline. But they, were fec they were, did not like Jesus for what he said. And then they went on here in chapter 16. In Guyana, when you have a dog in your yard, you put a sign on the gate. Beware of the dog. You know Paul said that in Philippians, the third chapter. He says, beware of dogs. Well, it's one thing to beware of the dog. It's another thing to beware of con men that are alive today. Beware of what you buy and how you treat it. And, you know, you think about all of these things, choices you make in life. Well, the choice you make in life, we make choices every day. Every day. From the time you wake up in the morning, your choice of breakfast is a choice you make. Your choice whether you want to pray or you don't want to pray, it's a choice you make. Choices are important. When you go to the grocery, beware of what you buy. We are to make choices based on fact. Based on history, based on origin. And when you have your Bible open up before you, there are many, many choices that you can make. May God help us to make the right choices. And Jesus said here to the, to the people, the disciples following him, he said in verse 6, Then Jesus said unto them, Take heed, and beware of the leaven of the Pharisee and of the Sadducee. Did Jesus know the Pharisees? Yes. What were they? The best religious group among the Jews. And who were the Sadducees? The second best religious group. And Jesus told his disciples, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of the Sadducees. And the disciples, not very smart, they thought he was talking about bread. But then comes further on here, verse 12. Then understood they how that he bid them not beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and the doctrine of the Sadducees. Is doctrine important? Absolutely important. What you believe in will mold your mind and mold your spirit. May God help us to come to the place that we would allow our minds not to be gullible. Uh, allow our hearts not to be gullible, but we make right choices, not only in the natural life, but in our spiritual choices of life. May God touch our minds tonight. Thank you for listening to me. Let us pray. Father, we give you thanks again for another Saturday evening in your house. Help us, O oh God, to have a spirit of discernment that we might discern good and evil. We might make choice between that which is right and what, that which is wrong. Give us that concern 
about our spiritual well-being, Father, that we can make right choices in life. Help us in every aspect of our life, we pray. Let your word not return void unto thee, but accomplish its purpose and plan in every one of our lives. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen and amen.